Business Minds, presented by the Business Journals of Florida, and brought to you by Tico People's Gas, at the heart of Florida's energy. In this episode, Tampa Bay Business Journal editor Alexis Milner welcomes one of Time Magazine's 100 most influential people in the world, Nadine Smith, Executive Director of Equality Florida. Nadine Smith, welcome to the Florida Business Minds podcast. Thank you for having me. It's really great to have you. I thought we would start with you, for those that don't know, because this is a statewide podcast, all corners of our wonderful state, people might want an overview of Equality Florida. You know, I think that an understanding in the context of of the work that you're doing would be helpful to our audience. So let's start there. Yeah, Equality Florida is a statewide LGBTQ education and advocacy organization. We work to ensure that the laws that are passed respect the rights and the dignity of the LGBTQ community. We work to make sure that whether it's in school, in the workplace, in the community at large, that people are treated uh, as equals under the law. And right now is a really tough time. We've been around since 1997 and we were sort of born, we emerged from efforts to pass local non-discrimination ordinances and then quickly came to realize that the big decisions that impact our daily lives were happening not only at the local level, but also in Tallahassee, one of the capitals located furthest from the population base. And so we knew it was going to take a deep investment to get people to understand how important uh, what was happening in our state capital was, but at the same time, continue to organize locally. And we've seen a great deal of change over the 26 years. We've seen absolute hostility from elected leaders. We've seen a growing recognition of our humanity. We've seen quantum leaps forward. Uh, in the aftermath of, of Anita Bryant, Florida was was one of the worst states when it came to LGBTQ uh, rights. And we were, we've were we been able over time to undo a lot of the really horrific things, the marriage ban, the adoption ban, laws used to take our kids away from us or criminalize our existence. And so now there's a familiarity to the backlash that we are experiencing right now as, uh, you know, our governor sort of has set his sights on the White House and has determined that the best path to get to the White House is to outflank Trump to the right and create a national platform. And so it's been a really tough time in our state. We've seen a lot of damage done to our state's reputation. But as I said, we endured Anita Bryant. We endured the Johns Committee before Anita Bryant. And uh, on the other side of this, I think not only will we prevail, but I think Civil rights movements are about questions being called. Where do you stand? And yes, there are some people who stand on the side of shrinking rights and banning books and censoring curriculum and political purges and those kinds of things. But historically, they have not prevailed in the end. Yeah, that's very challenging work. And as I think about my own observations, I'm in my 19th year in this role. And we've watched real progress when it comes to DEA access and inclusion, and especially in the business context and everything that from the business journal's point of view is, 
with that economic development lens. And so I'm very curious to hear about what you're hearing. And but broadly, as you talk about your own path in Equality Florida, there is a lot to celebrate. And we've seen a lot of progress in terms of people understanding why that's good business. But at the same time, the division right now, you'd like to think that you that eventually you'd be less important. But I don't know that there's any more time where the work that you're doing has such an impact on our economic future. Yeah, you know, one of the programs that we launched at Equality Florida was Equality Means Business. And we did it precisely because, you know, we had a lot of outreach from the business community saying, you know, there's a new generation coming into the workforce, the things that matter to them about workplace diversity, equity, access and inclusion. They're not just nice to haves, they are fundamental. It is how we recruit the best and the brightest. It is how we retain top talent. And so we began doing trainings with employers and quickly discovered we had a report that showed not only was it great when it comes to recruiting top talent, but the cost of not doing it was really high. You're losing talent. You're having to replace talent. You're having to replace institutional knowledge. The world is getting more and more diverse. Our country is more and more diverse. The global economy is getting more and more diverse. And so, you know, equality means business. We really launched it with the idea that how do we make Florida a welcoming and inclusive place to live, work, and visit and go to school in a way that helps to feed our economy by bringing top talent here and signaling that sunshine is for everybody. And I think we've made huge, you know, by leaps and bounds on that front for a number of years. And you see the business community often being at the very front of the conversation about the importance, the economic argument certainly, but also the ethical argument. You know, it's interesting last night, uh, or, you know, we, I was able to celebrate two of our staff members being honored by uh, the Lightning and the other being honored by the Orlando Magic uh, for the work they've been doing in this space. And so there's lots of messages that companies, sports franchises, small business, all recognize how important it is to make sure that your workforce knows that they are included and respected, that you address the biases that make it hard for people to bring their full selves to work, and also that they they respect customers, that they react and respond to customers, not from bias or prejudice, but with a welcoming and inclusive attitude. And so it's really been quite devastating to our state's reputation on all those fronts to have uh, bills like the so-called Stop Woke Act, which... Um, not only begins to whitewash and censor what can be taught in schools, but goes into private business and says, we're going to restrict how you can prepare your diverse workforce for the global economy. We're going to restrict your ability to train your workforce in the way you think best represents the values and goals of your business. And that should be very disturbing to people across the political spectrum. And it's driven by you know, a desire to say, Business, you don't get a voice in how we educate here in our university systems. You don't get a, a say-so in how you build your business uh, for a changing world. And so we're seeing that when it comes to private business. We're seeing the reputation of our university system and our public education system really be raked over the coals. And I've heard from a variety of university leadership 
that the efforts to reverse brain drain are being undone by watching our public education, our university system sort of being dismantled brick by brick. Yeah, those are frightening concerns. And, uh, you know, as a truth seeker, I mean, we are, I mentioned the, the broad umbrella of economic development, especially in terms of the business journal's focus. We're seeking truth. And I think to watch this happening raises a lot of concerns about the power of voice and whether or not people feel constricted in their ability to, to talk about as an employee of a large employer, you know, uh, how this is affecting their lives and their workplaces. And I'm wondering about the chilling effect because an education I think we can get into in this chat because I think it's huge, especially when you talk about the talent and curriculum needs that we have, a talent shortage and generating the kinds of people that these businesses need to flourish. But I think businesses have a challenge in being brave to talk about and speak out for fear of intimidation. What are you hearing from folks that want to invest uh, there, you know, there are those probably who are, who are making decisions about plans that are separate from the economic culture and wins. What kinds of things are you hearing direct concerns about from those folks, again, uh, deciding whether or not to come here and invest? Well, what we do know from uh, some of the research that's being done right now, that there are parents who are leaving Florida because they have LGBTQ kids and they no longer feel as though our schools are safe places for them. They no longer feel as though they can get the health care that their kids need because politicians are replacing sound medical advice. And so I think right now, it, you know, it's difficult. We've, we've come out of lockdown. We've come out of the part of the pandemic that didn't have us traveling. And so I think Florida has benefited from sort of a backlog of people wanting to go to Disney World, wanting to, you know, travel and using their vacation time banked over those years. And so I think that the impact of the damage being done to our state's reputation is beginning to be visible. Like I think we've been, it's been obscured by sort of a, a tourism boom. But I know that there are conferences that have come to Florida. I know because I've spoken at them where they said, yeah, there are people that aren't coming to our state because of what's happening in Florida. We won't be holding our conference that we've held year after year here in Florida because our membership sees it as co-signing these things that are happening. You pay attention to the early signs of, of a trend. You don't wait till it's in full bloom. And I think right now there's still time to repair the damage that's being done. But, it, you know, the damage is quite deep. Uh, we had a, a, a family, I think they were out of um, Iowa. They wrote this beautiful letter and they included a check. They said, we had plans to come to Florida. We had purchased airline tickets. We had hotel rooms and we voted as a family, my husband, me and our kids. And we said, we're not gonna come to Florida and we're going to get refund we can and we're gonna send the money uh, to help you fight what's happening. And, you know, as an organization it, that made me feel very proud that they, they looked around and said, you all are the front line. But as a Floridian who grew up in the panhandle, it breaks my heart that people are having to weigh their own safety and their own values of respect and equality in deciding whether or not to come to our state. Especially when we talk about the reversing things like the brain drain and talent pipeline. I mean, that those things probably are exponential. It does seem that, especially when you think about what's happened at Disney, that the employees are the ones who really motivated some of the action to lead to what we've seen there. Those to me seem like it's around large employers who have employee resource groups 
and who are in a position to be affected by really listening to their employees. But I imagine for small businesses uh, that feel this way, you know, it's it's also tricky to navigate because I, I know, again, there there's always concern about intimidation or speaking up. And for those who, who believe this is a concern, a lot of people are silent. Well, clearly intimidation, punishing dissident voices and and rewarding cronies is part of the playbook of anyone who has authoritarian tendencies. And so intimidation has been a part of this. We see it in the passage of the don't say gay, don't say LGBT bill, where it's so clear from the language used that the the purpose was to say, we don't want LGBTQ people in our schools. If they're there, they should be made to feel very uncomfortable. And any positive representation, any book that reflects them or their families should be removed. All of those messages were delivered um, on the in the Senate, in the House, and from the governor's mansion. In fact, it was his spokesperson who uh, began the uh, campaign to call gay people groomers, right? So there's no ambiguity about the the intention. And now that the intention of that bill is showing up as books being taken from bookshelves, empty shelves in libraries, teachers being, you know, basically threatened if they not simply adhere to the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. We see that how much intimidation is part of this censorship and book banning agenda. But at the same time, it's written in a way to say, oh, I didn't do that. That was the school district that did that. That wasn't me. That was, you know, uh, somebody trying to make me look bad, which was, you know, there was a Duvall uh, parent who worked in the schools who took videotape and said, "This is these are the shelves that they've emptied. These are the books that they've uh, gotten rid of. And there's hundreds of books that have been challenged and removed either permanently or are under lengthy, lengthy review. And the bottom line is kids don't have access to those books. A reporter brought that up at a press conference to the governor. And within a couple of days, that man was fired. So I think this issue of intimidation and misusing the power of government to silence people is a very real one. That being said, I think we have seen businesses stand up. We have seen businesses walk the talk. You know, values untested are not values, they're propaganda. And right now it's a gut check moment for businesses. Do you believe in these things? Do they matter to you? Did they look nice on paper, but now that they're being challenged, will you stand by them? And I think there are businesses that will, and there are businesses that will uh, see which way the wind's blowing. But I do think this is a place where the DeSantis regime has not just overreached, but miscalculated. I think, you know, criticism of his strategies of intimidation and punishment toward businesses have pretty consistently gotten him criticized from within his own camp. There's nothing conservative about what you're doing. There's nothing um, in keeping with this ideology that you you say you've embraced. You're telling schools what they can teach. You're taking civics teachers and taking them and telling them you can no longer say that Thomas Jefferson uh, had slaves uh, or or that George Washington, that there were contradictions uh, between the values they espouse, these powerful words and their own actions, because that might make someone uncomfortable. Well, what happened to uh, the idea that we don't have to coddle people. We can give people tough truths. We can deal with complexity, you know, like the the, the, the crafters of these documents 
that um, that empower our idea of ourselves as a country have not been met yet. Why are you afraid of those conversations? Why are you taking books like, uh, you know, The Life and Times of Rosa Parks off the shelves? Why are you rejecting math books because they include a blurb noting that Katherine Von Johnson, one of the principals in the movie Hidden Figures, was the first black woman to um, head a department in NASA? Why does that put you in a grip of fear that says that book can't be a textbook in the state of Florida? So I think that people are beginning now, you know, it's one thing to hold a press conference that's carefully orchestrated and, and you know, talk about, you know, what you've done in these, these changes. It's another thing for people to see what's actually happening. And what we are seeing daily, our businesses saying, this is doing some real harm when we're out here recruiting. We don't like what we're seeing happening in our university system. We have employees who are calculating whether or not their kids are safe in Florida as he removes all of these safeguards from our school system. And the rhetoric of parents' rights, I say this as a parent, it's powerful rhetoric. What parent doesn't want to hear that their rights are being protected? I, I want to hear that. But that's not the reality. My rights as a parent of a child in our schools in Florida have not been protected. In fact, they have allowed a small cadre of partisans to go into schools often where their kids aren't even students and demand the removal of books that they disagree with. The good news is the book banners don't usually win. The bad news is they can do a whole lot of damage while they hold sway. And that's why this is a moment for courage. And I will say to businesses, ducking the fight for your values and your people won't avoid the fight. It will delay it until you are even more alone. And it takes courage in these moments to stand up and walk the talk of the values you, you have spent years telling your people that you espouse. And I think that the companies that do it right now, that do stand up and say, hey, listen, we're going to continue to train our employees to be the best employees, um, to treat our customers the way we want to be treated, are going to be the companies that on the other side of all of this, people will say, yeah, they meant it when they said it. Those weren't just words on marketing materials. Nadine Smith joining us. Next, the impact of companies that embrace diversity as Florida Business Minds continues. People's gas at the heart of Florida's energy, committed to being a leader in Florida's economic growth and to delivering clean and efficient natural gas solutions in a responsible way. More at floridasenergy.com. And I imagine that those companies that have really understood diversity, equity, access, and inclusion in terms of what is done for their bottom line to have a diversity of thought and a workplace for which people feel like they can be themselves, their authentic selves, their strengths are honored, that I would hope that they would see that this has a balance sheet motivation. And one would think that you know the smart folks that are in leadership positions, maybe even if they hear this message, would find some courage in being able to address and stand up against uh, what they may be perceived as, uh, well, the back to this intimidation or, or, or lack of free will, free speech, these things that, that do make, make for us a more rounded society at the very least. Well, you know, we look back on history and, and all of us think, hey, I would have done the right thing there. I would have stood up. I would have 
gotten on that bus to help register voters, I would have challenged Jim Crow. I, you know, we all want to look back and think, yeah, I wouldn't have gone along with it. And here we are in a moment where you get to find out whether or not you would have stood up then, because if you don't stand up now, you wouldn't have stood up then. And I think of a friend of mine who's whose father owned a um, a restaurant in Miami Beach when Jim Crow was both by law and by custom how things were. And when he made the decision to open his front door and say, all my customers can come through the front door, he got incredible grief from other restaurants, other businesses on Miami Beach and stood strong, stood tall. And slowly as they watched him draw customers who actually reflected those values, slowly they began to open their front doors. And soon Jim Crow disappeared in part because someone took a strong moral stand, but also because the people around him saw economically he was cleaning their clocks. And I think that we need both of the, the spirit of both of those things, the courage to be who you said you are and the wisdom to understand, don't be short-sighted. History will remember whether or not you stood up, you stepped back or you hid. Dollars are green and it's a fascinating and, and really compelling point. We heard from a leader of a local economic development agency here tell us that what he'd been hearing were very polar opposites. On one side, there were folks who were, were not coming, we're not gonna make investments, we're gonna look elsewhere. And then there is, and this is a flip side, I don't know, but probably is, of those who are supportive of our governor and who find this a moment in time for which they can embrace and believe in those policies. To me, it's more polarization and division, but there are folks who, for whatever they decide, see this as, a, as something they want to be a part of. That must be a challenge in and of itself or just present another wrinkle in this, you know, in this effort. Well, you know, when you look around and you think about where the economy thrives, it thrives in places where there is diversity and it suffers in places where there is not. If you're drawn to a place because you believe that the policies that are being enacted are driving that diversity out or marginalizing certain people, then you're racing to a, a sinking ship. And it might give you, if you wanna be in a homogeneous environment where everybody looks like you, thinks like you, believes like you, then you're going to have a place that lacks innovation, lacks culture, lacks the wide breadth of talent necessary to imagine and innovate, right? And so that doesn't happen overnight, but the rot will begin to show. And unfortunately, right now, the message being sent out about Florida is, this is a place where we punish dissent, where we silence objection, where we reward people for getting in line and where our contempt toward you know, different groups, whether it's race, religion, sexual orientation, gender identity, is expressed with the force of law. That is a message that will not serve Florida, certainly not over the long term. And I think increasingly we are seeing people who are contemplating which college they're going to go to, witnessing police dragging students out of the USF president's office. It has an impact on our reputation to see New College, which has had a stellar reputation, have its leadership summarily dismissed and replaced with partisans of the governor with extraordinary salaries added to the pot. And 
Nothing about that looks like it's driven by sound business judgment. You know, what's happened to Disney is that added to the Disney infrastructure now are partisans who have no experience whatsoever in governance in the way that you would expect would be necessary. Instead, you have someone from the AstroTurf group Moms for Liberty, which is literally created by the wife of the current head of the Florida Republican Party as a way for Republicans to court soccer moms by creating outrage where no actual facts exist. That person's put on the Reedy Creek board. And you have to ask yourself, okay, this is somebody with no experience whose only claim to fame is to be part of this sort of book banning censorship culture. What are they doing there? And it can't be for better efficiency. It is a political move intended to intimidate and silence a business for speaking out on behalf of its employees. And so to me, the question isn't, do you agree or disagree with the impetus, but are you okay with the government being weaponized in that way? It might not be your ox being gored, but the knife that gets sharpened there can quickly swing upon you. And so again, I would say there are across the political spectrum, this is a moment to say, what are your values and are you going to stand up for them? Or are you going to look the other way if you think it is convenient to avoid the fight? Or are you going to look the other way because politically it's being done by somebody who you support? Or do those values mean something? And you're going to speak up regardless of whether an action, a bad action is being taken by a friend or foe. I imagine a lot of that too is just being educated and aware. And, and perhaps that's some of what we're doing here now is helping people understand what's at stake and how making sure that they have enough information to make decisions for themselves. And I think as the media, and I know that's where you started, I want to be sensitive to your time and begin to wind up here. And, and I, uh, again, I'm so grateful for you joining us here. You were you know, named as one of Time Magazine's 100 most influential in the country. Congratulations for that. That's a, that's a pretty lofty honor. Um, but I imagine for you, you take a minute and celebrate and, and then continue working on what you do. How do you deal with your own sort of energy? And maybe all of this just fuels it, even more of a reason to, to force change. But I imagine just for you personally, that there are moments where, where it's challenging. Well, you know, I've been around for a number of decades now, and I've seen a lot. I do remember Anita Bryant. I was born as the Johns Committee was fading. I remember vividly Anita Bryant. I remember her speeches. Um, I remember being a student and knowing that she was making the world more hostile to my existence. Um, and the idea of anti-bullying support or employers who cared about diversity and inclusion. I mean, I had a job at a sandwich shop across from USF where the owner walked up and told me not to serve two doctors because he thought they were gay. He didn't say gay, he used a, a slur. And I wasn't out at that job and I came out and that was my last day there. But to live in a state now where the majority of us live in cities where bipartisan lawmakers have passed non-discrimination protections at the local level, where the vast majority of Floridians support marriage equality. All of those changes have happened because 
People have stepped forward when it was not easy, when it was not convenient, when there were repercussions for stepping forward. You might be talking into a microphone at a city council meeting, asking them to give you the most basic protections that they already enjoy, and the measure could fail, and now you're out in a city where those protections don't exist. So it's always required courage. And so for me, it's not an energy drain because I see how much progress we made, but I also remember what it was to be a kid and not be able to see anyone standing up for me, not in my school, not in my community. And so right now, especially when young people are bearing the brunt of these attacks, when they look around, they're going to see me. And they're going to see a whole lot of other people at Equality Florida. And they're going to see a whole lot of, you know, volunteers. And every day I get a text message or an email from a parent who says, I never thought I'd be sending this. I never thought I'd have to fight for my kid to go to a school where they were not being bullied by the governor, where they were not being abandoned by people intimidated by the governor. And I'm ready to fight back. And so... We see those parents stepping up and we see students organizing themselves. When students reach out to us, it's not to ask our permission. They're saying, this is what we're going to do. If you guys want to help, great. And we help as much as we can in every way we can. So I think, you know, there's something called the Streisand effect where, you know, very quickly, Barbara Streisand didn't want her picture of her estate being included in, I think, the Google Maps. And she sued to stop it. And instead of prevailing, she basically forced the issue into the spotlight. And so maybe a dozen people had downloaded it when the lawsuit began. And by the time it was over, millions of people had downloaded it. And right now we saw the same thing in marriage, the fight for marriage, where the far right went after marriage equality state by state by state. They felt that public opinion was shifting and they had to race around and close the door. But instead, they, they called the question. And at the end of that, instead of foreclosing the possibility of marriage equality, they hastened it. And I think in the same way right now, the governor is trying to roll back progress. But I think of it this way. He is grabbing a slingshot and pulling it backwards. And every step he thinks he's undoing that progress. But really what he's creating is the dynamic tension necessary that when we break his grip, and we will, just as we did the Johns Committee, just as we did Anita Bryant, when we break his grip, we won't just come back to where we are. We will propel ourselves into the future in the same way that none of us thought marriage equality might have been possible in our lifetimes, and then it became inevitable. So, you know, to all the parents, to all the students, to all the business leaders who are continuing to stand up, and for those who are peering out behind the blinds, wondering if they should step up, I'm going to tell you, when the story is written, you want to know. You want to know that you will be among those named as having the courage to walk the talk, to live those values and be who you said you were. I think, Nadine, that's a perfect spot to end our discussion today. And uh, again, I think, um, you know, it's it's a lot of food for thought. Uh, be careful what you wish for. And uh, these are serious issues out there, but I, it's really been a pleasure to um, have you on the Florida Business Minds podcast. And thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. And if anyone wants to reach me, I'm Nadine at EqualityFlorida.org. And, um, you know, we got a place for you. Nadine Smith joining us. Thank you for downloading Florida Business Minds, presented by the Business Journals of Florida. 
and brought to you by Tico People's Gas at the heart of Florida's energy.